This podcast series is part of Hashtag Hour, a new grassroots project that brings together personal stories of all backgrounds to widen discussions on existing and important issues that are often silenced. Interested in the project or want to contribute to our work? Check out www.ourcontext.org. What does it mean to be the child of a white German father and a Filipino mother? In this episode, Mariko shares with us what it was like growing up in Japan, as well as her experiences of playing semi-professional football in Japan, Germany, and England. Her story is about the journey of finding her identity and happiness in a world where she is constantly othered as people underline her differences. I'm Fumi, this is Hashigar Racism, and this is the story of Mariko. Mariko was born in Germany to a white German father and a Filipino mother. Three months later, her family moved to Japan, where she would spend the first 19 years of her life. Mariko recalls how she was reminded of her differences as early as when she was in a Japanese kindergarten. I was a German-Philippine girl in a Japanese kindergarten, so I think for all the kids in the kindergarten, they were all Japanese, so I was like the only foreigner. So I kind of was... You know, I didn't have any friends in kindergarten, to be honest, because I was just different. And even the kindergarten teacher was, I remember I was just, I don't know, spinning around with my backpack. And then I hit this girl and then she started crying. And then she told, you know, my mom and like her mom that I was being violent. And I think, I don't know, because I'm a foreigner, maybe that I'm, I'm violent because in Japan, my physique is kind of big during that time and like when you line up you line up from shortest to tallest and that's like a cultural thing and I was always at the back and I don't know that's one thing I can never forget because I remember all my kindergarten life I didn't have any friend I think my friends were like the neighbors from home so I didn't really enjoy that part and yeah, you get you still get comments in Japan like when I was in kindergarten again it's like do you have an extra bone in your nose or like because my eye color was also different at that time it's like light brown green kind of but for them it's like they haven't seen that color so it's more like you're an alien or um you know it's a color of poo and at that point like I was I was really sad because I was like, why do I have this shit color, you know? But now uh, when I move to other places, like a different eye color is something, you know, that's appreciated. And then I think I started liking my eyes, I think when I was 19, 20, but till then it was like nothing special because there's nothing what they um, mentioned in Japan is what I, what I felt. Mariko is a semi-professional football player. She started her career in a Japanese woman's team as a young teenager. She says this is where she first began to realize how her identity can be used to other and exclude her. Because I was playing football as well, and, you know, Japan, they have a quite strong women's squad in football. I've tried training and playing with the Japanese team. And, you know, there it's kind of like the start of... Because I was... You know, I was only three months old when I was there. So until I was 19 in my, even though I have no Japanese blood, I feel like I'm Japanese because I speak the language and I have Japanese friends and, you know, I only know Japan. 
I've only gone to Germany like, you know, once a year for Christmas to visit my grandma. So I didn't really feel German at, at that time. So when I joined the Japanese team, you know, I thought because I speak the language, like I'll just, you know, be like them. But then that's not the case. And the interesting part is because I was the tallest there in Japan in the team. And for them, I'm white because I had, I've noticed that if you're half, let's say if I tell to my team in Germany now that I'm half German, half Philippine, they choose the Asian side. So they'll say, okay, you're Asian. But in Japan, if I say I'm half German, half Asian, they'll choose the German side. They just always choose the different side. There's there's no one in my life that I've experienced who say, oh yeah, then you're German like me, if you know what I mean. Like I speak the language, I know the culture, but they still choose the other half just to, I don't know, just to show like, you know, you're different than I am, kind of. Mariko shares some of her struggles playing football in different continents. I remember when I was trialing for the first day there and the manager of the team automatically assumed I would be a centre-back defender that has a great shot and great headers just because I'm German and tall and, you know, my player profile is already made up because I'm half German. And interestingly, in Germany and then in, in England, it's like, oh, you're Asian, so you're quick and you have the technical side. And then all of a sudden I'm in Germany and then my player attribute is completely different, you know? In Japan, I'm that tall centre-back type that has great shots and headers. And then in Europe, I'm like the the short, um, speedy type of player that does the technical stuff. So, you know, it's like... It's confusing because it's like, okay, what player am I? You really don't know your strengths and weaknesses when they automatically assume your attributes. So that's what I've experienced. Now, when I think of it, when the coach told me like, okay, you're going to be a center back because of what you are. I thought that really hurt me. So I would have said that was racist. But thinking about it now... You know, because I feel like people became more sensitive about this topic. And I think I'm still like, okay with it. It's still like racial profiling. I think even my dad and my grandma says it's like more like a racial profiling. But I think at that point when I was 14, it felt like a racist thing. Other than that, um, on my German team or in England, there was there was Asians and then you know, when you make groups on a on a drill and on my German team, they'll say, okay, let's form a Japanese group there. And then obviously, Mariko, you're in that, in the Japanese group. And of course, that's nothing bad. It's not like I'm complaining, why do I need to go to the Japanese group? But then it's like automatic that I belong there, even though like I'm as German as, as they are, um, just because I, you know, speak the Japanese language and I can speak um, with my Japanese teammates in Japanese and help them translate doesn't really mean that, you know, I am Japanese and I belong in that group. So there has been, of course, teammates that kind of, I don't, I can't really say racist teammates, but there are people here in Germany who are, you know, just not open to to foreigners, you know. Um, In England, it was a bit different because I was based in London and I think that was like the first time I ever felt like 
I belong here kind of because everyone comes from like different cultures and it's like it's normal to be like a foreigner there or have some kind of other blood inside you. They don't really ask like, okay, where are you from? You know, but still, like if I say I'm from Germany in in England, they'll be like, you sure? (laughs) You know, and then I'll be like, yeah, well, I'm German, but my mom is from Philippines. And then they're like, ah, now now I know why, you know. But that's also in Germany. It's like normal here for in Germany. I think I'm more me and my brother, actually, we're more considered like on the Turkish side because we just don't look German. When Mariko moved to Germany for the first time at the age of 19 to play football, she experienced a specific racist trope related to eating patterns in East Asia. Her teammates asked her if she had eaten dog meat before. This affected her by giving her the feeling of not belonging. I was 18, 19, so I was quite upset with that because it's like, why, why do they like think I'm different? Why do they like consider me not like them? Because I am German. I speak the language. I have a German passport. My dad is German, but still they they're asking me like if I've eaten dogs before or if I eat rice every day. It's like, you know, no, I eat bloody spargel every day (laughs) but I remember I was so upset I told my grandma about it and then she was like don't worry they have you know they have they haven't seen the world and they don't know anything about it they only know Germany and people who lacks education are the ones who ask stupid questions like this you know and we're German but you know we also love like traveling I mean the Germans are one of the most traveling people who love traveling the world. And then on the other hand, it's like they love being racist kind of, which is so confusing to me because, you know, I think it's top three that the Germans are the most travel traveling in the world. They love traveling the world. But then all of a sudden, if there's some differences here, like they kind of step back. Mariko is currently the managing director of a football camp in Germany for young aspiring Japanese football players. Japanese children as young as 13 years old come to the camp to train, learn the German language and culture, trial for teams in Germany, all with the hope of increasing the chances to succeed in Europe. Mariko says that the attributes associated with Japanese players in Germany, quick and technical, is an issue for Japanese players who want to make it in Germany. That is the player attributes for Japanese. They come here and then, you know, they are quite... They're more technical, the Japanese players, which is really good. But that also become comes from because they train three hours a day or five hours a day. And then they do only the technical drills instead of doing shooting. That's what really actually matters. Um, um, in football, you need to score to win, right? But then, you know, in Japan, it's more like if you dribble past five players, you're the best player instead of um, not doing anything. You know, in German, it's players like who don't do nothing for 89 minutes, but that guy who... Sh- who scores the goal is the best player. So that's what they don't learn. And I think there's, um, but that is kind of like the players, um, racial profiling in Japanese players. When they come here, even the German managers expect them to be quick because they're shorter, that they're strong in dribbling, that they're on the wings. And usually the managers of the Jap- of the German team here, they don't really want any defenders coming, Japanese defenders, because first of all, because they're, you know, they assume they're short. 
And interestingly, from 100 players that we have, I think there's only like three, four defenders that actually actually come here. But I think it changed because I have like, I've also heard that the Japanese boys started growing taller in Japan. Um, so we have like one one boy who's 19 and he's like 190 centimeters, which is quite tall for a Japanese. He kind of got that center back position, which is like very special. And he's he's in the starting position and we we're very like everyone is surprised because everyone's like, whoa, why is this Japanese player in center back as a starting position? It's like crazy because, you know, I think um, if you ask people like what are like the main attributes as a German in football is like tall, physically strong. The header is strong. And this is why they don't want they don't require for a Japanese to be able to do that. But I think this boy kind of changed the game because, yeah. And I think another position is goalkeepers. Like here, I think some academies in the Bundesliga, they will just don't want you for trial as soon as they see your height, you know. So when we have goalkeepers here, we kind of tell them that, you know, I cannot, no matter how good you are with your feet, you cannot, we cannot um, provide you with like a great um, academy team because of your height. Um, but we still, of course, accept because, you know, it can be like um, their jumping skill is is good or, you know, there's actually technically there are better than German goalkeepers, but the actual difference is the height. And it's quite important because you're in goal. But we have goalkeepers. Um, but yeah, there was a boy who came and who never was able to start because of because of his height. But, you know, that's that's life like you're in germany like you just have to you know accept that and i think some german teams should be more open and giving them like a spot and not assuming oh, a japanese goalkeeper no way they can they can play you know but yeah that's another you know i think it's not really racist but like it's kind of like a racial profiling that it's automatically that they're out of the the squad or you know which is also kind of important to mention. Moments in which Mariko was stereotyped and othered are not limited to football. She shares her experiences from dating and shopping where the intersection of race and gender, particularly with regards to beauty standards, shaped her experiences. I think with Japanese guys, it kind of like never worked because the German blood in me was like a bit stronger and I say my opinions. I don't listen to the, to what they say. And, you know, they say like, okay, no makeup, supping. Like I've read it everywhere, always in the news. Like these Japanese guys don't like it when you have, when you don't have makeup on, which is the complete opposite. I think with Europe, they're like, um, she lacks motivation. She don't want to be, you know, they want the Japanese girls to have makeup full on Monday to Sunday or else we're lacking like an effort. We need to make an effort for that. So I actually, when I was in middle school, I made an effort to put makeup on, which now I think, oh my God, why did I do that? And then it's so funny because I come then with a full makeup to Europe and then they're like, the natural you is better. And it's like so different, isn't it? And it's like, okay, I need to stop like trying to be a girl that 
that's uh, matching for Europe or Japan. I just have to be what, you know, what I want. And, you know, now that I've met um, the right guy is like, is, is, is all good. Um, other than that, of course, um, I think being a soccer girl for a Japanese boy is not that great. It's like you're boyish or, you know, I have a friend that said, oh, my God, your calves are huge. Um, and I hated my calves because I was like, why do I have muscle on my calves? Because that's not attractive in Japan. In Japan, legs that have no muscle is attractive. And then you go to Germany and then they love the sporty girls. So it's like, oh, my God, this is so like, you know, I really should stop like matching for for them and just, you know, and now I'm happy. And, you know, also like in Japan, everyone is skinnier than you. It's like normal. So I always thought, I always believed in my Japanese friends when they called me Pochari because if I shop in Shibuya, I, I, I have size XL or L. And then you, you live in um, England, which, you know, then I'm like extra small and it's like, oh my God. And in Japan, they profile you as fat with, with a label which I hope it's different now because now it's like, it really doesn't matter because for some boutiques you're an L and you still look skinny. And then in some boutiques you're an, you're an S, but then in Japan, it's like, you know, I remember when um, I had to, we had to order training kit for the team. And then everyone's like, Ah, I S size, kids And then I'm like, ah, and they're like, Oh my God, you're L. It's like I'm a pig or something, you know? But no one was smart enough to say, first of all, it's because you're taller that you're L size. I just automatic automatically thought it's because I'm fatter, you know? Because no one corrected me and no one said like, yeah, because you're taller. So I just assumed, yeah, I am fat. And also with shoe size, because the Japanese boys have like, I don't know, 26 centimeters is large in Japan for Japanese boys and I have 26 so I remember um in middle school because the boys were mostly Japanese they're like oh my god like who can date you because your feet is so long like it's like long like us like who can date you and stuff and then you come to Europe and everyone has like you know 30 centimeters or 29 centimeters and I just feel more feminine here to be honest because every guy is kind of bigger in all sizes. Mariko thinks that despite her various experiences of othering, her mother bore a lot more brunt of racism as a non-Japanese Asian woman in Japan. You know, my mom had more like, I think what my mom went through in Japan was more racist than what I went through because, you know, when I was a baby, I was like, I was a German baby. I was white with, you know, when kids have like lighter hair. So it was like more like blonde. And then I had the light eyes and everyone thought that, you know, she was my nanny. Like since up till I was, I don't know, like 14, 15. So I remember she told me like, because there, there is a lot of nannies and cleaners who are from Philippines. Well, that's, that's a fact. And so there was this Filipino lady who who say like, oh, wow, you have a job, you know, well done. And then she was like, oh, no, 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 this is my kid. And she was like, you don't need to be embarrassed about it. Like, just admit it. And then she was like, this is my kid, you know, which 
no one believes. So that's straight racist for me. And, you know, that she had to go through that the whole time until I started looking more Asian. And then it was like, okay, yeah, yeah, that that's your kid. But at that time, um, I think it was seen like that. Plus, you know, my dad had a quite a, you know, successful job in the J League because he was a manager there. And my dad, my mom, you know, didn't really have to work. She was she was at home. So and then she's from Philippines. So it's like, how did you guys meet? Because in, in Japan, there's a lot of pubs and clubs where, you know, where they think like, okay, she's a, you know, she went for the money, which isn't the case because they were both broke when they met. So that was at the time when my dad was trying to be a professional coach. So it wasn't even like, but again, like not everyone has to know that because there's always going to be people who's going to assume that way. So yeah, that's racist, I guess. And what I've also learned from Japan is, which is interesting, is being a foreigner is awesome when you're from Europe or when you're white. Like you're kind of like a god there. So when you say you're from Germany, they treat you nice, which is so funny. But if you're from India or Philippine or someone that Japan thinks is a lower class, they treat you like a lower class people. Um, in Germany, it's like foreigner equals you are automatically lower, lower than us, whether if it's Japan or, you know, even America. But I think in Japan, it's quite interesting because when my dad checks into a hotel, it's like, yeah, welcome. Like, you know, you're the king. And then it's a bit different when my mom checks in with a, you know, at that time she had a Philippine passport. It's, it's completely different. Mariko reflects on her engagement in view on racism against the background of recent movements such as Black Lives Matter and Stop Anti-Asian Hate. I watched more um, videos of Asian attack, but that's, I think, naturally, because when you're like, when your part is, you know, I'm half Philippine. So when you see a part of your country or, you know, your continent getting in attack, you feel um, you're more interested in it. Not that you know, I'm not interested about the Black Lives Matter because um, is is important too. And come on, it's like we're 2021 and we're still fighting about this is quite bullshit, you know. <laughs> but I did focus more on the Asian hate because I don't know, you just see like an Asian woman, like your mom getting attacked. And it's like, it just feels like it, if it was your mom, you know, and I've seen like they're getting, they're getting killed from it. So it's not even, it's not normal. but. I think, to be honest, we're just making an impact on the people who already understand racism. And I think there's still like, to the actual racist people, this Black Lives Matter and this nonstop, it it just goes in and out. The time passes by and it's just done. And it's really hard because maybe it does touch some some people, but not the racists. They're never going to feel bad about that. And, you know, that's just not, not going to change. And then the generation is changing. But if your parents are like that, your kids are going to be like that. So it's not like it's it's going to disappear. And it's sad to say that I'm already saying it's not going to disappear. But if, you know, I think the only reason why we could be positive about it is because you see now people losing their job through being racist and I think that's that's great because 
then you have to kind of keep it to yourself. And, you know, because of uh, more social media like TikTok, when they film the actual um, racism happening and then you get fired, I, I think that's that's awesome at the moment because people need to be careful now because you can't just casually be racist anymore, you know, which is important because I think all of us could have been, were casually racist 15 years ago or, you know, in middle school. And it wasn't a problem. But now that everyone has a phone and can record everything, you know, I guess that's that's one great step because you're seen everywhere. So you need to be careful. Marco has the following to say about what she thinks being anti-racist entails. I think to be, I don't know, adaptable and open-minded. It's hard to say, like... I think, for example, if you come from Africa and anti-racist is someone that just doesn't see the person um, because of their color, but also is open and wanting to learn instead of like closing, if you know what I mean. Um, Wanting to be able to learn a new culture or a new language or, you know, God, I have this word in German, it's neugierig. I think it's curious. Someone who's curious about the other person, I think, is anti-racist instead of just not wanting to know about it. And it's complicated because curious can be racist in one way, you know? You know, it's a curious in a in a humble way. Not like, you know, do you not wash yourself or not like that, you know? But like, oh, can you tell me what it's like there and stuff? Just trying to be open. I know it's quite hard to be in the border. Curiosity is quite complicated because curiosity can turn to some people racist. So I don't know, someone who's, yeah, open and sees everyone in the same, in the same way in regards to um, class or color. You can find more information about racism in football, as well as other articles, books, and videos Marika recommends people to take a look at on racism on our website, www.ourcontext.org. You can also find a transcript of this episode on a website in English, French, German, and Italian. If you have a personal story to share, reach out to us on our website, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find us by typing in hashtag our underscore racism. This is Fumi and hashtag our racism. See you in two weeks. This episode was produced and edited by me, Fumi. Introductory score by Luca Nioi. Other music by Pete Morse, Crescent Music, and Fugu Vibes. A big thank you to Mariko for her time and energy in reliving for us some of her painful memories and sharing with us important and valuable reflections on this issue.